Good morning, Cornerstone. I'm going to read to you a quote this morning. I want someone to tell me who said this. I felt a great disturbance in the force. As if millions of voices suddenly cried out in terror and were suddenly silent. I fear something terrible has happened. Who said that? These are the ominous words of Obi-Wan Kenobi in Star Wars, the fourth episode. And Obi was right. Because at the very moment he felt that great disturbance, Lord Vader had entered the Jedi Monastery and began slaughtering all the young children Jedi who would be able to stand against his authoritarian rule. Darth Vader, as he would come to be known, killed them all. In 1980, there must have been at least a handful of believers who felt a similar disturbance in the kingdom. As if millions of American Christian voices suddenly cried out in political fervor and the kingdom of God became suddenly silent. In 1980, something terrible happened. When Christians banded together and became a force, not a spiritual force, but a political force. The year when many Christians decided that social change they sought should no longer be pursued by prayer, but by political force. That they should no longer remain silent, but speak up and speak out against the ills of this nation. And throw the full force of their human resources and finances behind any candidate willing to advance their political agenda. Something terrible happened. Because in doing so, they have contributed to the toxic and to the decaying political environment in which we find ourselves today. And since Romans chapter 12, verse 14, Paul has been instructing the believer as to how we are to live in this world in light of all that God has done for us. In light of the high value that God has placed upon us, we Paul says, are children of God. We, Paul says, are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ and all things belong to us. We are chosen by God to be vessels of honor and praise of his mercies. We who are children of God cannot be separated from the love of God and no weapon that is formed against us can prosper. But by God's grace, Paul says, we have the power to overcome whatever obstacle is placed before us. And so because of all these things, because we have nothing to gain and nothing to lose, Paul has been admonishing us that we should assume a quietist approach to this world. 
that as much as possible, we should not make enemies, but we should befriend the people in this world, that we should be loyal to the saints, that we should show honor to the sinner, even to our enemies, that we should give generously to the poor, that we should be devoted to prayer, that we should be hospitable to the stranger. And then Paul instructs us that if it is possible, as much as it depends on you, pursue peace with all people, if it is possible. As much as it depends on us, we should not make waves. If it is possible, as much as it depends on us, we should not stand in anyone's way from doing or pursuing what they perceive to be in their best interest. That if it's possible, as much as it depends on us, we should foster a peaceable environment in which we can live and let live. Because of all the people in the world, the believer has the least to be up in arms about. We already own everything. We're already one with the creator of all things. We have already been accepted in Jesus Christ. We have no reason to be and we have no reason to feel the least bit insecure about anything. Though the mountains shake and the tempest roars, the children of God have no reason to be on the defense. But in 1980, we went on the offense. And our offensive posture caused political and social backlash. And now because we did not adhere to Paul's admonition towards social quietude, we find ourselves on the political defensive. We find ourselves fretting and mourning over the loss of what we perceive to have been the greatness of our country. And this political fear causes more anger. As daily on the news, we are warned that our way of life is under threat and this sinful society is out to get us. And in response, we circle our wagons even closer and we have assumed a posture of us against them. We have assumed the posture of an anti-governmental philosophy that outright rejects any and all governmental authority that we feel do not signify our core Christian values. We have put ourselves on the political radar and we have disturbed the force of Christ's kingdom and we have mired down his message with alien voices indifferent to his cause. But 1980, was not the first time believers sought to advance Christ's kingdom by political means. In fact, if we look back in history, we find that this hyper-political practice has ebbed and flowed throughout the history of our faith. There was even a time in the West when Christians became so powerful that our apostolic leadership chose kings and queens oversaw the execution of those whom we deemed to be heretics. There was a time when our apostolic leadership 
put their blessing on the stealing of slaves, of human beings. There was a time when Christianity dominated recognitions through imperialistic ambition. 1980 is not the first time that we found ourselves taking a political position. Christianity has a long history of partnering with the world and its governments. But it seems that every time we do so, we have become a little more dark while the world has become less and less light. In other words, our political escapades have done very little to advance the kingdom of Jesus Christ or his cause. And if anything, it has done more harm than good to Christ's reputation. Because Christ has a reputation as a quietist. Jesus was indeed a quietist when he walked on this earth. And in Jesus' day, there was much more to be up in arms about than there is today. Yet Jesus never became overly involved with this world's affairs. Matthew chapter 12 verse 20 tells us that Jesus did not break one broken reed, that Jesus did not quench one burning wick. In other words, as much as possible, Jesus Christ flew beneath the radar, touching no social and touching no political third rails. When Jesus got into trouble, it was always about spiritual things, never about social issues. Jesus minded his kingdom business and he sought to bring about kingdom outcomes through kingdom means. Jesus accepted and Jesus respected the edicts of governmental authority no matter who the authorities were because Jesus understood what Paul is teaching us in this text today. Paul begins in verse 1 saying this, every person is to be subject to the governing authorities. Every person is to be obedient to the governing authorities, to those who have legitimate jurisdiction over our physical bodies and over our social interactions. Every person is to be obedient to the governing authorities. And this subjection is not a personal kind of subjection. Obedience to the rules and the laws and the edicts that are made by those who have legitimate power to make those decisions. That's what Paul is talking about. Obey the law. Obey the law that have been handed down from your governmental authorities. That we should not overtly challenge them. We should not covertly try to undermine them. Obey the governing authorities, Paul says, because their power has been granted to them by God. As we look back through history, that, that concept, that idea that God has granted them this authority seems somewhat impalpable as, as we think about Hitler. That God would have granted Hitler authority and power. But that's what the Bible says. There is no authority except from God. There is no power that does not come from God. 
And this truth applies not only to political power or social influence, this truth applies also to spiritual powers of every sort. Whether the prince of the power of the air or the political power of your local mayor, all power comes from God. God is the power source from every other power from whom every other power derives its power. And God allocates his power as he wills. So if your president is in power, it is because God has given him power. Daniel chapter 2 verse 21 says that God removes kings and God establishes kings. And Paul explains here that those authorities which exist are established by God. They are appointed by God for better or for worse. And of course we know that God wills that these powers would use their power for the good of society. But we know that's not always the case. We'll talk about that more in a moment. But right now Paul is explaining that the power of government is derived from the power of God. And therefore he says in verse 2, therefore whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. To say it another way, whoever shows hostility toward authority is hostile toward the order of God. And he or she is out of order, out of alignment with God. And without order, there can be no peace. And without peace in the land, the gospel becomes overshadowed by the noise of rebellion. A noise that permeates the hearts and minds of too many of God's people today. Because a hostile political environment is a distraction from the things of God. So if you do not want to get distracted from your kingdom purpose, if you do not want to get thrown off of your spiritual course, you will avoid making any political waves. You will avoid causing social unrest or hostility. Only so that there can be peace. Of course, this does not mean that you have to like your authorities. This doesn't mean that you have to approve of what your authorities do. Nor does it mean that we cannot have an opinion about how governmental authorities perform their roles. Even Jesus had an opinion about political authority. Jesus didn't think much of Herod the governor. And in Luke chapter 13, verse 32, we read, at that very time, some Pharisees approached saying to Jesus, go away and leave this place because the governor wants to kill you. The person who is in governmental authority over you wants to kill you. And Jesus said to them, go and tell that fox. Behold, I am casting out demons and performing healings today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I reach my goal. Jesus called the governor a fox. A sneaky kind of fellow. Jesus had an opinion about governmental authority. There are different kinds of foxes, but they all have a reputation for being sneaky and sneaking around and stealing stuff. That's what foxes do. So Jesus called the governmental authority a sneaky thief. Tell that sneaky thief 
he didn't have much regard for the man. He respected the office, but he had not much regard for the man Herod. And no doubt Jesus had even less regard for Herod's father, Herod the Great. Because it was Herod, if you read the book of Matthew, it was Herod who sent men to Bethlehem to kill all the children two years old and younger. The governmental authority sent soldiers to murder babies. But Herod derived his power from God. Herod derived the power from God to put Jesus Christ to death. Hmm. Paul says, they who oppose governmental authority will also receive condemnation upon themselves. This condemnation is not condemnation from God but condemnation from the governmental authority. Paul makes it plain in verse three, he says this, for rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil behavior. And admittedly, Paul here is speaking from the ideal. Ideally, rulers do not punish good behavior. Is that right? But sometimes they do. Debbie and Chico Jimenez, the couple that was fined $300 each for feeding 100 homeless people in Daytona Beach, they were fined for doing good. 78-year-old Norma Thornton was fined for the same thing, and she was fined $750 for feeding the hungry in Arizona. Sometimes the government punishes people for doing good. But Paul is talking about the ideal government, the kind of government that God envisions. But Paul knows full well that such a government may not exist. And in his own situation, such a government did not exist. We can't miss this fact, this fact that in just a few short years after Paul wrote these words, Paul himself would be incarcerated by the governmental authorities for preaching the gospel. And after he is imprisoned, still he writes, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, he writes to Timothy and says this, First of all, then, I urge that requests and prayers and intercession and thanksgiving be made in behalf of all people, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Paul is writing from prison. And he writes these words while being unlawfully detained by the governmental authorities. Even when the government is oppressing him, he still holds to this principle of submission to governmental authority. Why? He tells us here. Because Paul values tranquility and peace. He does not want Timothy or any believers to become immersed in political activism because he knows that it will distract, detract from the greater good. We are to obey governmental authorities because they derive their power from God and because we desire peace and quiet, but also because we do not want to live in fear. And yet this is precisely the situation that many believers find themselves in today. Whether their fears are justified or not, they have so polluted the political discourse that they live in fear of retribution from the other, from the enemy. 
Let's go, Brandon. They fear the governmental authorities because they have challenged the governmental authorities and they have caused friction. And now they live in fear and trepidation. And what they desire more than anything is to destroy their enemies. Exactly the opposite of what Paul is teaching us here. Paul asked the question, do you want to have no fear of authority? Then do what is good and you will have praise from the same. Now we know that good is defined in different cultures in different ways. But as long as the government does not demand that we violate our faith, then whatever they demand of us is either good or at least benign. And Paul instructs us to simply obey their commands. Because not only is governmental authority derived from God, Paul says those in governmental authority are servants of God for your good. Oh my. Those who are in governmental authority are servants of God to you for good. The president or a prime minister, the governor or the mayor or the council member, the police officer, they are all servants of God set in their places by God to make your life good. But what should you do if those servants of God are not on the same page with God, as is most often the case? What do you do if those servants of God are not following God? Well, in our country, we have a very simple solution to that. In our country, all we have to do is be patient. And if we just wait two, four, or six years, we can replace them with somebody else. But there are many countries in the world where the governmental authority serves indefinitely. What should they do? If their government is not making decisions that are in their best interest, what should they do? If their government is oppressing them and abusing them, what should those Christians do? If we ask Paul the question, Paul will simply respond, obey those who exercise legitimate authority over you. It's the same command. Democracy is a fairly new concept in the world. This idea of self-governance is merely an embryo in comparison to other forms of government in the world. But the instruction is the same, obey those who have governmental authority over you. Because their authority derives from God, because you desire peace, because you do not want to live in fear, obey. Another reason we should obey is because government has the power and government has the right to do us harm. That's a hard one to swallow, but it's true. Government has the power and government has the right to do us harm. Paul says, if you do what is evil, you should be afraid. For the authorities do not bear the sword for nothing. Their sword, Paul says, is a servant of God. Their sword, Paul says, is an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. 
Therefore, verse 5, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Also for the sake of your moral sensitivities. We should be obedient so that we do not struggle with feelings of guilt. Guilty feelings are unhealthy. Guilty feelings stunt spiritual growth as you have to allocate more and more mental and emotional resources to keep your anxiety at bay. Obey those who have authority for the sake of your own conscience. Interestingly, Paul says here, verse 6, that it is because of conscience that you also pay your taxes. Nobody wants to hear that. It is because of conscience that you pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God devoting themselves to this very thing, devoting themselves to creating a healthy society wherein every person can flourish. That is the purpose of every government. And yet they do not always live up to God's design. And that truth makes for a theological conundrum. That these people in authority exercise God's power, but they do not necessarily obey God's will. That makes a conundrum, doesn't it? Yes, that is a flaw in the theological system. But it is important that we understand that governmental authority was not God's original intention. Have you ever thought about that? Governmental authority was never God's original intention. The whole concept of governmental authority is a man-made proposition to which God simply acquiesced. It is we then who desired a king. As far as God was concerned, he was the only king we ever needed. But let's read it in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 4 through 9. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to Samuel, Behold, you have grown old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint us a king to judge us like all the nations. Upon hearing this, the Bible says Samuel became displeased because they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, listen to the voice of the people regarding all that they say to you. Because, Samuel, they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. They have selected, they have elected to have governmental man-made authority over them. That's not my best choice, but they have this desire and I am acquiescing. Okay, you want a king, I'm gonna give you what you want. They are not rejecting you, Samuel. They are rejecting me from being king over them. Just like all the other nations had already done. God says, like all the deeds which they have done since the day that I brought them up from Egypt, even to this day, in that they have abandoned me and served other gods, so they are doing to you as well. Now then, listen to their voice, God says. However, 
you shall warn them strongly and tell them of the practice of the king who will reign over them. So in short, we have governmental authority because humanity did not want to be ruled by God. That is the reason we have governmental authority because humanity did not want to be ruled by God. So yes, there are glaring flaws with human institutions. There are glaring flaws with every governmental institution. And yes, there are men and women in places of governmental authority who may be ill-equipped both morally and professionally. But it is us who ask for governmental authority instead of the rule of God. And as a consequence of that decision, we must make the best of whatever kind of government we inherit. Obey them, pay our taxes to them, and honor them. Honor them, not because they are deserving, but because ultimately this will lead to a peaceful environment in which we can go on our way preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ undeterred so that we can accomplish the work of the Lord that God has sent us here to do. We who are the children of God have nothing to gain. We who are the children of God, we have nothing to lose. Everything already belongs to us. And what we must do is learn how to wear this world like a loose-fitting garment. Investing little time, investing little energy in the machinations of this world so that we can live in peace. And when there's peace in our hearts, there will be spiritual growth. And the kingdom of God within us will permeate this sinful world as we honor and obey those who have governmental authority over us. You who have been with me for a while, you already know where I stand on political matters. I am rather indifferent, I don't really care very much. Because I recognized a long time ago that all politics tend to do is make you angry, make you bitter, and put you against your brother, put you against your sister. Fighting, always striving, always angry, always bitter, always accusing. All of those things that do not advance the kingdom of Jesus Christ, not one iota. Whether it's social justice or whether it's war in Iraq, none of it matters in the grand scheme of things. All things already belong to me. I have nothing to be on the defensive about. I am in this world only for a moment on a journey. I am a pilgrim here. This is not my home. <laughs> So let the angry world argue, let the angry world fight. We who are children of God, we must abstain from these arguments so that we can foster an environment of peace, peace without and peace within to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father God, you know that we are all flawed human beings. And that two of the most sensitive subjects for us is politics and money. But you have given us direction, you have given us instruction that can lead to your greater glory and to our greater good. And so today, Father God, I pray for us 
I pray that you would deliver our hearts and our minds from politics, from political activism. I pray, Lord God, that you'll give us hearts that only seek peace, to be peacemakers in this world. That no man will see themselves as enemies to your church, but that the world might see the church as friend. We pray, we pray for peace in the world. We pray for peace in our nation. We pray for our president. We pray for our representatives, for our senators, for our governors and mayors and district superintendents. We pray for all of those whom you have invested with your power. With most of them, Father God, you know we don't agree. But I pray that you'll give us hearts of humility to see the bigger picture and to understand your grander scheme. It is we who desire to have a king to reign over us. Forgive us for our ignorance and teach us how to be satisfied and to be content no matter who's in charge from the White House to the city office, to the city hall, no matter who's in charge. Help us to be at peace in knowing that truly you, Lord Jesus, are the only King of Kings, and you are the Lord of Lords. And we obey them because we honor you. It's all for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.